You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Again, glad you're with us right now. And please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Please open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. That's right, you. You open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. I'm patient. I can wait. I can wait. Go grab it. Some of you may pause right now, run upstairs, grab it from your bedroom, whatever it is. Some of you need to get up, whatever, and and wipe some sleep out of your eyes and get to the Bible. Again, especially today, if you are faint and feeling weary, you got to get a copy of God's Word in front of you today. I said, I'll wait. I'll wait. I'll wait. Waiting, waiting, just joking, love you so much. All right, Bible's open to Isaiah chapter 40, and we conclude today with our series called Behold Our God. Behold your God, behold our God. I believe this has been just what the Holy Spirit has ordered for our church family. Isaiah 40 is a massive dose of perspective with the potential of supernatural peace as we seek to behold perfection. Remember, this was the goal of this chapter 2,600 years ago for God's people, and the same thing is true by the Holy Spirit today. The same goal applies, that we would know, again, perspective and peace as we behold perfection. Let's recap where we've been. Week number one, beholding the wondrous sovereignty of our God. Week number two, beholding the awesome glory of our God. And today in week three, we see this. We seek to behold the inexhaustible power, the endless supply of strength and glory of our one and only God. Oh, the utter encouragement to look up and to see a God. Listen, listen, who's this for? To look up at a God, to see a God who never tires, never worries, never loses, never stresses. Beholding a God who is limitless in power, limitless in strength, limitless in energy and life-changing glory. This is our passage today as we behold our inexhaustible God. Can you imagine being inexhaustible in power and strength? That is our God. I, by the way, am the opposite of this. Weak and frail and sinful and inadequate and insufficient And so brought down by burdens and awareness again of my own sinfulness and inability to do apart from God what he asks of me. Man, we need to behold our inexhaustible God. So Bibles are open, I know, now. Isaiah 40, verse 27. Take a look, take a look. We heard some of this. Let's just hear it again before we jump in officially. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord? And my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not honed? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Amen. Even you shall faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait who wait for the Lord. They shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 
I'm excited for today. Today's going to be great. But do notice how today begins. It begins by being not great. Our text starts not so great. Takes us to point number one, which is this, which is an important admission right now. Point number one, we will be tempted towards despair. Like, thanks, Robbie, for that pep talk of encouragement. I know, but God's word's important. It sets up what's coming. In our lives, in our day, in our time, in our hearts, we corporately will be tempted towards doubt. We will be tempted towards discouragement. And yes, we will at times be tempted towards despair. This is the great tactic of Satan himself. He deceives us to lead us to cause us to be despairing within ourselves. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? Why do you say, Jacob, Israel, and my right is disregarded by my God? So in the midst of awesome glory of Isaiah 40, here right now, verse 27, we see inserted statements of despair among God's people. Why? The Jewish people, they were exiled in Babylon. It's been decades. They're losing hope. They begin to say, the Lord does not see us. The Lord is not caring for us. Where is the justice of God? Why are my rights being disregarded by him? Has he forgotten about me altogether? This is where God's people have gotten to in verse 27. Let me just make a few observations right here. In verse 27, notice this is what sin does. Sin blinds us to the truth of God. This is what a lack of faith does. It sows seeds of unbelief towards the promises of God, and this is what Satan does. Satan seeks to lie to us about the character of God. Now, what I just said is very, very important biblical counseling. Let's put it out on the screen so we can see and have a recap here again, because this is so important to acknowledge in our own hearts and lives the process of how we get to despair, right? Doubt, discouragement, despair. Right. Sin blinds us to the truth of God. When we sin, it causes us to be unable to see the truth of what God has promised to us. This is what a lack of faith does. A lack of faith causes us to disbelieve. It sows seeds of unbelief towards the very promises of God. And of course, this is all fueled by Satan. This is so important to notice. Satan, he lies to us about the very character of God. And so if we allow ourselves to start going down this spiral... This will lead then ultimately to despair, which is why so many even right now are tempted with this in the times that we live right now. And that last part too about Satan, this is such a massive point of insight. Because listen carefully, one of Satan's most foremost tactics is to lie to us about the love of God. Let me say that again. One of Satan's most foremost tactics, church, is to lie to us about the very love of God. John Knox, the incredibly powerful Scottish reformer, he said this, he said this, by what means Satan first drew mankind from the obedience of God? He's saying, what was Satan's strategy to first draw human beings, Adam and Eve, from the obedience of God? The scripture tells us, 
And here's what the scripture tells us. To wit, he says, by pouring into their hearts that poison. What's the poison? That God did not love them. This is one of Satan's greatest designs of poisoning our minds and therefore our hearts and our souls to start us to believe and hear the whispers, God does not love you. God does not love you. God does not love you. And the moment that consideration is taken in and we start to bite into that apple, so to speak, is the moment we head down a path that will never end up in any good way. Isn't this so important to point out right now as where we see in verse 27 where the people of God arrived. But even as I point these things out right now, Satan hates it. He hates right now so much because his strategies are being exposed. Some of us right now, we are tempted in a place to doubt the love of God. We have bought into the lies that God does not care, that God does not see, that God does not know, or God has not heard. I just want to be honest with you right now today, this morning, that I was tempted this very week as to such darkness. The last two weeks, and this very week, I was tempted in significant ways I feel in my own life and heart to be tempted towards such darkness. And again, just pastoral transpar- transparency for you right now too, it is, it is both frightening and striking how quickly you can be led to thoughts of despair. At least in that direction where you start to see in such a clouded vision that you forget the truth that has carried you for so many years and even decades now. It's interesting, in verse 27, look closely, the tenses used here indicate a prevailing mood. Do you see the word hidden? The word hidden is used to denote a settled fact, right? So the people have drawn their conclusions already about God. It's a settled fact. Our way is hidden from him. Do you see the word disregarded? Look there. The word disregarded is used in a tense indicating a continuous experience, right? So when they say, my right is disregarded, what they're really saying is, it will always be this way. It's never going to change. It's always going to be this way. God doesn't see. He never will. It's basically doom and gloom. It's over. Let's just give up. This is the tense of the words that are being used right here. And this formula or this path is a recipe for despair. God's people in exile, and by the way, many of us, feel like we're in exile right now, huh? I mean, it's almost like reverse. These people were exiled from their home. We're exiled to our homes. Can't gather together. Can't be where we desire to be so much. Again, I just want to be honest with you, man. I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. You know, waking up yesterday morning and staring out and you can kind of see and just say, man, all the things we can't do. Many of us feel like we're exiled. I have so much grace for you. It's in their discouragement in this place that leads them to start to doubt the love, the care, the strength of the Lord upon their lives. And this right here is one of our most common and frequent errors that we must be so on guard in our minds and hearts because it causes so much unnecessary pain and anxiety when we allow it. What is it? It's this. Let me just summarize maybe this section with this statement. It's when we allow our circumstances to dictate God's love for us as opposed to God's love to dictate our circumstances. In fact, that's so important. Let's put that on the screen for us so we can see together. We are in trouble when we allow our circumstances to dictate God's love for us as opposed to 
to God's love to instruct and to dictate to us our circumstances. Sit on that for a second. Leave that up for a few seconds. Just let God's people chew on that and decide where that applies in their life right now. Yes, Holy Spirit, work draws to you, draws to repentance, draws to faith, draws to see your love. It's your love that dictates our circumstances, not the other way around. The accusation of the evil one here for God's people in verse 27 is that God has failed them, and that is a lie that must be silenced. And church, this this is the great power of beholding your God. The moment we look up from ourselves, we look up from our sin, we look up from our circumstances, the moment we look up and behold our God, this is the light and the love of God which chases away the lies of the enemy. Isn't it so true? Like just in the worship this morning, I pray in that wonderful worship set and our team leading us so well. And we look up at the Lord and we see his glory and the gospel and the truth and the hope. It's there that Satan cannot dwell. He, he flees. Darkness screams and runs away because the truth of the gospel, he shall return. He shall return. Us presented in robes of white, the blazing fire of the Lord Jesus Christ, how awesome that is going to be. God help us. God help us to understand we will be tempted towards despair, but it cannot end there. This takes us to point number two now, which is this. This is when our theology becomes indispensable. This is when our theology becomes indispensable. What we mean is, if evil lies lead me away from the Lord, then it's the truth of God that brings me back to the Lord. And this is why verse 28 follows verse 27. Look at verse 28. He's like, wait, wait, time out, time out. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Look what he does. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. So similar to Isaiah 40 verse 21, Isaiah is saying to the people, wait, people, have you not known? Surely you've been taught. Have you not heard? In some ways, he's saying, people, you know better. You know the truth. But your life must live the truth here. One commentator calls the people in verses 27, leading to verse 28, one commentator calls them practical atheists. Meaning, they say they believe, but they live as atheists. They profess to be believers, they profess to be Christians, but when it comes down to it and the rubber hits the road and the trials come upon them, then all of a sudden they switch and they live practically as atheists as though their God they say they believe in doesn't really exist and moves in the way he says that he promises to. Sit on that for a second. That's a good comment. That's challenging for us. It's challenging for us. And you know what? These past 10, 11 months has exposed many practical atheists. It has. Sure, I'll believe in God or serve God when things are going great, when everything's kind of going my way, but when things get really tough, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, the wheat and the chaff are exposed. But these last 10, 11 months, you know what's also exposed? It's also exposed many deeply sincere, wonderfully beautiful uh, Christians who love Jesus Christ with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's also revealed that. 
Again, look at verse 28. I want you to stare at God's word today. It's so important. Have you not known? Have you not heard? And notice what happens here. The doctrine of the Lord begins to be unpacked. The doctrine of the Lord and how important this is. The true theology of our God. And by the way, again, I want you to see here, notice here, notice from verse 27, in despair, the answer from God is theology, is knowledge, is doctrine of himself. Make sure you see that. This is such, such an important point right now. The people are discouraged. The people are in doubt. The people are tempted or in despair. And God says his answer to them is him. His answer is himself. His answer is a theology of who God is. Now, I'm telling you, in the days that we live and the days where we're going, The churches who lack a proper theology and doctrine of the word and of God, they won't make it, and they're not making it. Like, they're not making it right now. It's not even an if. It's an an actuality of when. And I'm telling you this too, okay? The believers, the professed Christians who are not rooted deep in a theology of God and a knowledge of who he is, they will not make it also. I cannot stress this to you enough. The time is upon us now, church. The time is here. Only those rooted in the good soil will last. And one of the greatest determinations of perseverance and endurance and lasting for the things of Christ is you have to be on a bedrock foundation of the knowledge of God through proper theology in him. Those who are weak in his word are not going to make it. As pastor of this church, and as much as I can implore you and challenge you, again, every announcement we make, every course we offer, every time we're in the the Word right now, we can only go so far. You have to also grow in the knowledge and authority of the Word of God in discipleship, and those who do will persevere to the end. It's going to be the great testing ground in the days to come. It's already upon us. You can see how passionate I am about that because I think it will be the absolute difference maker between those who do really well in Christ in the midst of difficulty and those who fade away and are pulverized by our culture and whatever else is happening. Again, I just want you to see from verse 27 and what what God's response is in verse 28. It is so utterly critical. He unpacks a theology of himself. And his theology is our God is eternal. He is the creator of all things. He is inexhaustible in strength. He possesses unlimited and perfect wisdom. That's the resume of our God right there. What does this mean? It means your God is the best. No one else comes close. It means he cannot fail you. It means he created you. It means he perfectly oversees you. And wow, does it encourage me to read in verse 28 where it says again, he does not grow faint or grow weary. Does that encourage you like it encourages me? That theology fires me up so much. Why? Because I'm so weak. Because I'm so weak. And yet my God never tires. I mean, honestly, church, isn't it so encouraging to look up and to say, man, wow, God, what's it like to never tire? What's it like to never have to sleep? What's it like to never worry and to never grow weary? What's it like to be impervious to any kind of attack? What's it like to just be perfectly strong every single day in infinite glory? What's it like to be like that? And yet this is the God we belong to. This is so encouraging to look up and say, I belong to him. That's my father. My father. My father rocks. He's unstoppable. 
He's unshakable. Limitless in strength and grace. But you see, this is where their theology becomes indispensable. Even as I say this right now, some of you are looking up for the first time in maybe weeks and seeing that's true, that's right, he is that, and the hope that starts to come down. The theology that leads us again to be reminded of who it is we actually serve. And by the way, in verse 28, unpacking the greatness and glory of our God, let me ask you this. Don't you think you should want to spend some time with this God who's that awesome? Like, don't you think you want to spend a few moments each day praying to him and in his word to grow closer to him, to know him more, to love him more? Because again, isn't that the best time we could ever spend, church? Isn't it? Isn't it? What else would we want to do? This is the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth, who doesn't grow faint or grow weary. You gotta get as close to God as you can, you know? Rub off that on me, Lord. I need you right now. Man, that's so true in our day. So true. Just to recap where we've been, I will be tempted towards despair. This is when my theology becomes indispensable. And number three, now we must allow our weakness to become his strength. Look at verse 29. He gives power to the faint. The heart of our prayer meeting this Wednesday, 7 p.m. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Look at the life-altering promises in verse 29. By the way, is that verse underlined in your Bible yet? I encourage you this week, print out that verse, put it in front of you where you can see it every day. Just meditate on that verse, read that verse, believe that verse. He gives power to the faint. It's interesting here, see the word faint? Um, It refers to those who are failing under life's pressures. Anyone feel that way? The phrase has no might is weakness or the one who has no vigor or vitality. Anyone feel that way? Notice the phrase of either faint, this is important. Notice the phrase either of the word faint or grow weary. That is the key to these verses. Faint or grow weary occurs seven times in verses 29 to 31. Seven times. Seven times. Faint or grow weary is mentioned seven times from verses 29 to 31. Obviously, this is important to the Lord right now in the Holy Spirit. He's addressing those who are faint or feel like they're becoming weary. Who are the faint, though, in these passages? The faint are those who are complaining in verse 27. In verse 27, Ray Orland says this. He says, they are the weak in faith. Their fatigue is spiritual. They're weak in courage. They feel like quitting. They feel like quitting. I wonder if the author of Hebrews says to the believers for all time, but you have need of endurance. But you have need of endurance. I was searching for a book this week that I love. I've read several times over many years. And uh, for some reason, it was right in front of me all these days, and I just couldn't find it. Finally, I did find it. It's the book Roots of Endurance by John Piper. Again, I finally found it. I opened it up, and the first quote I saw was this on the screen for you. Here's what he says. He says, I I know that I am in great measure a child of my times. And one of the pervasive marks of our times is emotional fragility. 
It hangs in the air we breathe. We are easily hurt. We pout and mope easily. We blame easily. We break easily. Our marriages break easily. Our faith breaks easily. Our happiness breaks easily. And our commitment to the church breaks easily. We are easily disheartened. And it seems we have little capacity for surviving and thriving in the face of criticism and opposition. That quote's always been found for me to be very convicting and very inspiring at the same time. You know, one of the questions we need to ask, maybe this is in part why the Lord has allowed us to be in this season for 11 months now. Maybe. You say, what do you mean by that? Maybe we've become too soft. Maybe the church in this part of the world has become too soft. I don't know. I don't know, ultimately. But what I do know is that a lack of fruit found within that quote is a result from beholding self. The more we behold ourselves, the more we become fragile and up and down with every single wave that comes upon us. But the answer is and will always be again for the church. Behold your God. Behold your God. Because look at the text. He gives power to the faint. He is the one who increases strength. Oh, how I needed this text this week. The pressure of the weight and the horizontal has been adding up, hasn't it? I've been amazed even since this series began, the intensity of the spiritual battle as well, at least for my heart, I'm very sensitive to the things of the spirit and the spiritual world. It's a strength for me, it's a weakness for me. So aware the Holy Spirit's doing things, but again, can be so overcome with the reality of evil and darkness seeking to get my eyes off. And again, just more transparency here today. It's amazing to me at the uh, desire to see this church behold their God in the midst, and you're seeking to look up, and you're filled with his glory, and then the attack or the distractions that come and waits like upon your eyes to pull you down upon the world all around you. The weight and the burden of the world to take your vision down and all the issues surrounding us right now. It's exhausting, isn't it? Church, we need his power. We need his strength. The burden bearer. The Lord who holds endless supply of strength. Again, prayer meeting this Wednesday, 7 p.m., we're going to be walking through this text precisely. We're going through this outline. We're going to pray through this outline precisely And this text today. I pray that you will be joining us because, again, the Lord gives power to the faint, unlimited his supply of strength. Let me just recap where we've been in our outline right now just as we approach point number four because I want us to see this because it's all consecutive. It all flows into one another And some of you haven't had time to even really think about this in detail with all this being said. But notice, number one, we'll be tempted towards despair. But then God says, but wait, this is when theology of himself becomes indispensable for our lives. From here, he says, now you must allow your weakness to become his strength, right? So it's admitting we're frail. It's admitting we can't do it. It's admitting we're broken. It's admitting we're sinful, It's admitting that we're unable, and then all of a sudden, a huge theme in Scripture all over the place. The Lord is near to the broken heart and saves the crushing spirit. The one who looks, the Lord looks, the one who's humble and contrite, trembles at his word. Everywhere, again, we must allow weakness to become a strength. And then number four now is this. Then, so after this, then 
we will find renewal as we rest or as we wait on him. Then we will find renewal as we rest or wait on the Lord. So this, this is where this is going. This is where God wants to lead us right now. And these awesome verses of verse 30 and 31, take a look. Even you shall faint and be weary. Very famous verses. And young men shall fall exhausted. Uh, famous for a reason. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. So notice verse 30 speaks of views or, or young men. The intent here is to speak of those who would be considered in top strength, top physical condition. It's referring to chosen men in their prime, in their peak condition. Hey, wouldn't you know it? Uh, there's a commercial that came on TV. I just thought of this right now. This is so good. A commercial came on TV yesterday. He said, hey, are you over 40 and do you feel like half the man you once were? My older son laughed out loud. And I was like, hey, man, watch it, watch it. You know what I mean? I'm like back in the kitchen saying, whatever, whatever. Maybe I feel like half the man I once was. Who knows? Whatever. Hey, but I love that, right? So the text here is saying this, right? It's talking about those who are not way over 40 like me and feel like half the man he once was. It's talking about the young men who are in top physical condition or shape. Like think of Olympic athletes, the most uh, spectacular condition athletes, again, in the world. Even they, the text says, even they shall faint and be weary. Even young men in their prime shall fall exhausted. I love this truth. It tells us here the best of the best will not make it on their own. The best of the very best will not make it in their strength. If they're living on their effort, it's impossible. Then here comes the mighty contrast that defines life itself. Verse 31, take a look, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord. But they who wait they who wait for the Lord. You say, but what does wait mean? What does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to live in eager suspense of the Lord. It means to wait on him, to live in expectation of the one who one day soon will fulfill every promise he's ever made. To wait on the Lord, listen, to wait on the Lord is not to sit around in boredom. That's not what it means. To wait on the Lord, it's a disciplined progress as we trust in him and rely on him for what he promises to give. Waiting is progress. Waiting is self-discipline. Waiting is living in expectation, again, of him that is going to set us up in the world to come in perfection. Waiting is hoping in him. Waiting is resting on him. Waiting is relying on him with our lives. And what a season for this verse, isn't it? Honestly, right now. And those who wait for the Lord. Lord, help us to wait for you right now as much as ever to hope in someone to rely on someone to have expectation to trust in to wait for notice to those who wait or rely on the lord it's love and love and ready it's not a part-time commitment it's a lifelong all of life attitude to those who wait for the lord but can we be honest with ourselves right now Many of us right now, 
many of us right now are not waiting or relying on the Lord with our whole lives. Some of us right now, we are greatly self-sufficient. And if we're honest, we actually prefer it that way. We're trying to control everything around us. We're getting all our ducks in a row here on earth. We're trying to set up personal security. We're trying to make sure that we're in place and we're protecting ourselves and our family, all that kind of stuff. We're not waiting on the Lord. We're just waiting on ourselves. Because we want to be in control. That's where we feel most safe. We want to make sure we're in the driver's seat and we've got everything kind of planned out. But that would be very, very, very careful because that can change in a moment. If we haven't learned that in the last year, I don't know when we will. Can we be honest too? Some of us struggle trusting God's will. Some of us struggle with trusting God's ways. Again, we want to make it and we like it in our own way and our own time. Can we be honest too that some of us easily compartmentalize God. God is one box of many in our lives, and we pull out the God box when we need him, and then we put him back when we don't need him, we get on with the rest of our lives. He's one box among many. That's not waiting on the Lord. That's, that's not beholding our God. Because check out the fruit of those who truly wait or rely on the Lord. Now, if you look at verse 31, there's four things that happen. I want you to see them. There's four shalls. So get a pen, mark up your Bible right now, be, be a student of God's word. There's four shalls. There's four results from waiting upon the Lord, and they're massive. Look at the first shall. Verse, again, uh, number one in verse 31, they shall renew their strength. Those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. All in favor of renewing their strength? Yes, please. You have to wait on the Lord. Interesting. You wait on the Lord, you wait on Christ, you renew your strength. But wait, let's flip that for a second. You don't wait on the Lord, you live apart from Christ, and you will waste away. Right? Makes sense? If only those who wait on the Lord renew their strength, if we don't wait on the Lord, then we're depleted in strength. No wonder so many people are so depleted in strength because they have not uh, waited on the Lord. They have not abided in Christ. Those who wait on the Lord renew their strength. Those who do not, waste away. Apart from Christ, we fall apart. It's right here. The promise of waiting on the Lord is renewing your strength. What's so interesting too, within this text, in this passage right here, what will exhaust others in life, for those who wait on the Lord or rely on him, they will actually be strengthened in the same thing. Right? Those things that exhaust others to depletion for those who wait on the Lord and rely on Christ, they will be actually strengthened at the very moment someone beside them is being wasted away in exhaustion. That's the promise that's being given right here. For those who wait on the Lord. Here's the second shall. Write it down. Mark it up. Put it in your margins right here. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. What a promise is here. The progression here in the text, mount up, run, walk. But notice, they shall mount up with wings like eagles. All of us, hopefully, love nature shows, and you should have seen this at some point. Again, your life's so beautiful. When the warm air currents cause an eagle to soar, essentially without any effort at all. The eagle's just above and just steadying the balance, but soaring with the warm currents underneath them and gliding along. That's what's being expressed here. 
that the Lord God Almighty in his grace and strength and wisdom and his, and his supply of power, there are times in our lives, again, we are soaring on the warm currents with outstretched wings as the Lord propels and causes us to see maximum effectiveness and rest in him all by his grace. It can happen, does happen. Yes, please, Lord. Notice the third shall. They shall run and not be weary. So they shall run the race. Perseverance will be given. Endurance will be granted. How often have I seen this happen in my life? Eh? You wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord. You're broken. You're in tears. You're crying out to the Lord in your weakness. And just when you think you're about to fall off the edge and be done, and all of a sudden the Lord picks you up, all of a sudden the Lord again, I've said this before in many messages over the years, supernaturally you're just ready to be done, and the Lord puts one foot in front of the other supernaturally. You're like, that wasn't me. And God's like, no, because it was me who did it. And then the next foot goes, and the next foot, and you're running the race, and you don't know how other than God's grace. He promises to do that for those who wait on him. Who's that for right now? Notice, mounts up with wings, running and not be weary. And the fourth shall is this. Make a mark in your Bible. They shall walk and not faint. So soaring, running, and now walking. Most of what we do in the Christian life is walking, isn't it? Hey, listen, there are times we will soar. We will soar. Pray for that. Expect more from God. There are times we are running, again, running that race. But most of our lives in Christ is walking. It's the methodical steps of faith and love for Christ. It's the daily grind of life that is most common to all. It's the difficulty. It's the perseverance. It's the life filled with trials. It's the disappointments. It's the heartache. It's the narrow road that the Lord will allow, wait on him to continue to walk. To continue to walk. Listen, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, but today the Lord asks you and I to keep walking as we wait on him. Keep walking. Keep seeking to be faithful to him by his strength and his grace. Life may seem long. Life may seem tough and dark. Life may seem too difficult at times, but for those who wait and rely on the Lord, they will not faint. They will keep walking the walk of faith. Some of you right now are maybe watching for the first time or the first couple of times and you hear a message like this of renewal and the Lord God Almighty. Here's what you have to know, that the answer is always found and will be found in Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus Christ the Son of God who came to live and die and be raised from the dead. Jesus Christ promised that all who come to him, who are weary and heavy laden, he shall give rest for their souls. He promises a rest and a renewal in him of forgiveness of sins that we might have eternal life. That is the ultimate rest and renewal we could ever need or want, only found in Jesus Christ by saying, Jesus, I believe in you. I confess my sins. I ask for your forgiveness. Would you grant me eternal life and cause me to be a son or daughter adopted into the family of God only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? He promises to give rest or renewal for your souls. To end our series, Behold Your God, 
we wanted to share with you a life that has done just that so powerfully. Mike Rogers, many of you will know his name, many of you will know his face for sure. Mike Rogers, who interpreted our deaf ministry for many years, he interpreted our deaf ministry with incredible fruitfulness. He just passed away on January 22nd at the age of 60. Mike was suddenly diagnosed with cancer, and less than three weeks later, he went home to be with the Lord. Less than three weeks later. Mike gave his testimony as he received this news, and as I watched this, it's one of the best examples of behold your God that I have seen in a very long time. I believe it's an incredibly touching and incredibly powerful way to end our time in Isaiah 40, because in the end, again, you behold your God, he will renew you in life, and he will renew your strength even as you face death, especially as you face death. So I pray you'll be so encouraged and so humbled as I was, again, as verse 31 says, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Look at this video right now. I pray you're encouraged. Well, life can be very interesting. Let me explain what happened recently in my life. Around four or five weeks ago, I was feeling some, something's wrong in my stomach. Hmm, strange. And then I started noticing other things. Then recently, what happened was I lost control of my right hip. Wow. Something's wrong. So yesterday, I went to the hospital to get some tests, just to see. Anyways, after 12 hours, finally one of the nurses came up to me, said the doctor wants to talk with you. Okay, fine. So I went, went into his office, sat down. The doctor said, I'm very, very sorry. Well, I knew, I knew what the news probably was. Very, very sorry. He explained that I have a big softball size mass behind my stomach. It's cancer. It's already spread. There's no hope, he said. No hope. It spread to the liver, spread to my lungs now. It's spread all over. There's no hope. I can't. They can't operate. I can't get chemo. It's finished. It's all finished. It's too late. Hmm. I asked him, well, how long do I have left around? He said, well, the way it's spread, maybe a few weeks to a few months. I'm not sure. It depends. But there's nothing we can do. Just go home and wait to die. So when I heard that, was I afraid? No. It was the opposite. I felt, oh, a little excited. That soon I'm gonna go to be with the Lord. Also, I thought, now is my last chance in my life that I have an opportunity to show what life is like 
when you trust in the Lord. When I die, I'm going to go immediately into the presence of the Lord. Are you afraid of maybe suffering? Oh, yeah, I'll probably go through a lot of suffering. Yeah. But am I afraid? No. Even in our suffering, it brings glory to God. When I'm laying there in my bed, sick, suffering, and still praising him, bringing glory to his name, oh, he'll receive the glory. So I really do want to praise God for what happened. If God wants to heal me, that's fine. But I'll praise him for this opportunity to serve him in a new ministry. To show to me and to those of us who are Christians, death is nothing. Come on, death. Where's your sting? Where? We have victory in Christ. So that's going to be my ministry. Just even when I know about death, even when I know I'm going to lose control of my body, even when I face maybe a lot, a lot of pain and suffering, I'm bringing glory to God through all of that. That's the reason why I'm here anyways. So excited. Thank you to everyone who's thinking of me, praying for me. I've already heard a lot of feedback from many people from the ch my church and praying for me, willing to help me. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I thank the Lord. He's the best. His promises right now, I'm holding on to. I'm trusting that he gives me the hope and peace and joy. What else do I need? <laughs>